for May 5th, 2014. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 305, Destroying Star Wars in Order to Save It. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, I'm Matt Rather, and the band's back together after uh, after something like 10 weeks of not podcasting together. You couldn't keep this dynamic trio apart. Or I guess you need something that alliterates with trio, because dynamic duo alliterates trio. You couldn't keep this traumatic trio apart. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's uh Fenza Lee and Rather again on the horn with you to talk about all Spider-Man 2 all the time. Woo-hoo! This juggernaut that has earned 92 million dollars at the box office has caught America in its web and uh <laughs> will be sweeping. We are trapped. Yeah. Its explosion all over the pop culture scene is a metaphor for puberty, just like its story is. It's uh, Electro has electrified stories about Electro. <laughs> no, we're Mysterio not. Mysterio isn't in this one. I don't, wait, no, it's not mysterious. I don't know. <laughs> we haven't um, seen the movie, you guys. We didn't see Spider-Man Two. Okay, I'll be here on the push. I don't have- <laughs> no, we did not. T- we did not see this movie, and we're not going to podcast about it for uh, not not because uh, not because once we got that complaint that I got so pissed off about about uh, someone saying like guys, um, <laughs> um, excuse me, <laughs> worst episode of the podcast ever. You need to see the movies. Uh, no, not because of that. Because you know, I don't know. Uh, it's it's my hot podcast. I do what I want, but uh, but because it didn't interest us. I mean, did you, even yeah. if. If we had had time, would you guys have wanted to go see Spider-Man 2? No. No. It was still behind Noah in my queue, and I haven't even gotten around to seeing Noah. <laughs> and there's actually a good reason for me to see Noah, because it would be a good article to write about Noah. But no, I don't have time to go see <laughs> Noah, and therefore Spider-Man 2 has to wait in Spider-Line. Uh, probably until it's on Redbox or Netflix or something. Yeah. And there's yeah. also like a it's sort of an elegant phonological chiasm uh, in your answer, which is like, uh, no, no, uh. <laughs> <laughs> elegant phonological chiasm title. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump into the question of the week. Um, panel. We've had uh, some news about Star Wars Episode Seven. In fact, just today, as we record this, we record these on Sundays, and it is Sunday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. It's Star Wars Day. Uh, And J.J. Abrams and Larry Kasdan released a video on the Star Wars YouTube channel uh, saying, Happy Star Wars Day, and teasing more uh, casting announcements to come for... The upcoming Star Wars Episode Seven, which I guess has has begun production in London and probably elsewhere, um, in that part of the world. So, uh, guys, we know that that Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford are all returning to the franchise in Episode Seven, which is great. I mean, there wasn't really a way to bring them in in, in one through three, I guess, because their characters would not have been born yet um so uh in honor of their inclusion in honor of their triumphant return uh what 80s or 70s what star wars era original trilogy era um movie star 
actor, entertainment personality, would you like to see cast in Star Wars Episode Seven? Someone who was big then, whose career we're going to give a, a big old jolt to by putting them in J.J. Abrams' uh, Star Wars movie. Who do you who do you have first in the alphabet? Drink. It's Peter Fenzel. Hey, Matt. So when I first heard this question being articulated, I thought while the question was being read, I couldn't possibly come up with an answer for it. But as soon as the question was complete, an answer leapt to mind that was certain, and I don't entirely understand it, but I know it's the answer that I have. And my answer is the breathless, the powerful, the elegant, the deadly Faye Dunaway. I want to see, and not only do I want to see Faye Dunaway in the episode seven of Stars, this is Faye Dunaway, the star of, the actual star of Chinatown, uh, stars such movies as Bonnie and Clyde, Network, really one of the biggest female stars in Hollywood, I would say, in the era that Star Wars came out, right? Like, at least, maybe not the biggest, but certainly somebody who was very front of mind and and very very famous and influential at the time. And and I would say that, that really why it works for me, is that there's no doubt in my mind that bringing back this actor from the late 70s, on screen, she will have exactly the same presence that she had in all her films in, in the mid-70s. I expect full-on Faye Dunaway elegance, the, de- the dead-eyes stare with the heavily rouged cheekbones, like the sort of ethereal hair around her head, she, you know, shining with a long-gone Hollywood blondie brilliant uh, luminescence, right? All that stuff that we saw I mean, there is. I know. I know that there has been an intervening forty years or so, right? Like, granted, right? There's been an intervening forty years or so. We haven't seen that kind of magic on the screen, despite many people's attempts to try to replicate it. But I have utter faith that this time. In this project, the magic of the late 70s will finally return. Finally, the hands of time will be turned back. I mean, otherwise, why is Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford in it, right? There's no point to put them in there if they're just going to be totally different people. No, they have to recapture everything about them that was awesome in 1977. And if we're going to do that for anyone, we should do it for Faye Dunaway. And that, that's, I'm, I'm sticking with that. So, Pete, I, uh, I remember Faye Dunaway not from any of those films because I actually only saw those films later in life. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really aware of uh, Chinatown when I was a, a small child. Um, but Faye Dunaway really came, came on my radar as like, oh, that's Faye Dunaway. Uh, in the uh, 2005 reality TV series, The Starlet. Um, <laughs> Which, uh, and now we, which is again contemporaneous, roughly with the prequels, right? <laughs> so that's <laughs> yeah, the Star, Wars, Star Wars prequel woman. But, but fill in the gaps. What is the Starlet? Tell us a little bit about the Starlet. <laughs> the Starlet was a um, uh, well, it was a reality show uh, where a, a number of young women competed to. It was like it was like Next Top Model, but it was like America's Next Faye Dunaway. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know that America could not abide another fate done away. Uh, or, or perhaps like another Lauren Bacall, really, because that's really what we're talking about. Right. right? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, did anyone win? Who won America's Next Fate Dunaway? Is that, I, you know, I actually it? was just consulting IMDb Pro about that. Michelin McGuire, um, who, uh, whose IMDb star meter is uh, – 
110,743. And just for reference, my uh, IMDb star meter on my IMDb page is 245,168. So I am apparently the 245,000th uh, 168th most popular person in Hollywood. Matt, Matt, can you let us know when your star ranking gets to, uh, say, a good... A number where we should start paying attention, like I don't know, nine thousand. <laughs> Except it's not. It, you, you'd want to be under nine thousand, not over nine thousand, right? Like, so wait. So who are, is Michelin McGuire closer in IMDb star rating to you or to Faye Dunaway? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Let's have a look at Faye Dunaway's rating. Uh, One thousand five hundred sixty-seven. So uh, closer to Faye Dunaway. Okay. Um, okay. But but only just really really straddling the taint between uh, <laughs> between rather and Dunaway, um, you know as as you do. Anyway, so Michelin McGuire has uh, oh she she did one episode of One Tree Hill when she won right after she won the uh, contest, and um, then has done some short films. Recently, I guess. So there's that. <laughs> you should go talk to her. She lives in your town, right? Like, um, so, so the the one thing the one thing I remember from the Starlet is that what uh, one of the uh, young actresses who was competing on the show got a little lippy with Faye Dunaway because, you know, Faye was making, uh, excuse me, Madam Dunaway was making like pronouncements or something was, you know, telling them that, that they'll never make it in this business if they don't X, Y, or Z, like get a better attitude probably was the, was what it came down to. And, um, and this, this, uh, this contestant offered a, a snide retort, and Vivica A. Fox, who was sitting alongside Madame Dunaway on the uh, on the panel, um, said, "You know, uh, told the young contestant to shut up, to check herself, because that is a living legend." And they <laughs> <laughs> and they cut away to Faye Dunaway doing a little duck face, <laughs> you know, like. Vivica A. Fox, what hid in the in the maintenance closet from the fireball in Independence Day? Right, like so. This is no this is no small authority on you know on on extraordinary things. Like this is Vivica A. Fox, who's a big star in her own right. So uh, she defers to Faye Dunaway. I think that Darth Flangius or whatever the frig his name is going to be in this one should also defer to Faye Dunaway. Or maybe she could be the Sith. Oh my goodness, how awesome would it be to have a Faye Dunaway Sith? That would be outrageous. That would be spectacular. Um, CGI'd back to her 70s glory. Like, they could do it in a movie. She could drain the life force from, like, an ancient Princess Leia to, like, bring herself back to her power of youth or something. Although that's a little bit Dragon Ball y for you guys, but I like it. Hmm. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, guy. You should probably move on to somebody else because there, there, was, there were at least five different actors in the late 70s. There's not just one. Yep. So there's Absolutely. like a few more. So next, oh, I, more IMDb Pro. Well, no, we could do a whole podcast where I just browse IMDb Pro and talk about the things I see. But that is not this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> next in the alphabet, drink. Um, because I have actually a – I refrigerated my, my – uh, Extra large tumbler of Trader Joe's wine tonight. Drink. It's Mark Lee. All right. 
my choice in 70s or 80s actor to join the Star Wars Episode 7 is largely um, done to spite rather because he's probably going to pick this. Steve Gutenberg. Oh, um, damn you! <laughs> damn you! Really, was that really what you had in mind? No, no. I, I have a, I have a different one, but it, it does. <laughs> yeah, I'm really surprised it wasn't yours. Okay. What? Am I not allowed to whistle the Police Academy theme on this podcast anymore? Fine. No, but he's a great. But he is a great, great choice, Mark. Why did you pick? Yeah, him? Okay, for a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, let's see here. I think that uh, Star Wars, uh, that uh, Marvel needs to own sort of the comedy potential for the Star Wars universe. You know, uh, there's a lot of comedy that's been done at the expense of Star Wars, be it Spaceballs or uh, Robot Chicken Star Wars. Um, but imagine, you know, a New Republic Academy, right? Um, where uh, Steve Gutenberg is, uh, is like the goofball uh, Academy instructor. Right? Come on. Comedy gold. Hijinks ensue. Okay? So that's one reason, reason why Steve Gutenberg should join uh, the Star Wars universe. Uh, another important one is that um, his recently published memoir needs a boost. And I'm, of course, referring to, wait for it, wait for it, the Gutenberg Bible. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, wait, did he actually write a book called the Gutenberg Bible about his own life? Or are you making No, that- no, 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 no. His ghostwriter wrote a book about his <laughs> <laughs> Amazon.com, Gutenberg Bible. Look it up. Uh, May 8th, 2012. It's got five customer reviews, rocking four out of five stars, and you can buy it new for $19.43. <laughs> Dude, you said, you said that there should be a police academy actor in Star Wars, and you didn't pick Michael Winslow. Michael Lindsay, like imagine the imagine the comedy of like being like he's just a he's a guy at a junk dealership at a droid dealership, right? And they keep going to the droids to see if they work, and he keeps going like. I mean, that'd be great. Like, how many former police academy actors can we have in a Star Wars movie before it becomes, um, you know, Star Police Academy? academy? I don't know. Before, I, yeah. is, is the answer uh, is the answer an ordinal number or a primary or like a cardinal number or is it a percentage? I think it's I think, I think it's one. You guys, I think it's one. Sorry, <laughs> anyone? No, I think we could have Tackleberry in it, and it could still be a Star Wars movie, right? <laughs> Tackleberry passes like a pilot. Is he still alive? I hope Tackleberry. You're really bringing up the fundamental and uh, existential question of what is a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I do highly recommend the IMDb page list of Police Academy characters because it is quite a bit longer and more informative than you might realize. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the question: What is a Star Wars movie? I mean, like Wing Commander Three: Heart of the Tiger is not not a Star Wars movie in some ways, right? Huh? I mean, I guess yeah. The presence of Mark Hamill certainly. Uh, you know, steers the suspension of disbelief in a Jedi word in a Jedi word stance or Jedi word vector, I suppose. Where is Tackleberry? Matt, Matt, you should you should take it, uh, take the helm before I've gone off on a strange another strange wing commander rant as I am wont to do. Okay, let's uh, let's go. Uh, for me, there's only one choice in uh, in the kind of character that I want to see in the Star Wars universe from the seventies and eighties. You know who it is. Jack, Jack Nicholson, uh, in uh, in J.J. Abrams' Star Wars movies. I I don't understand why, um, as some kind of you know, as some kind of uh, inner interstellar bad guy, you know, some sort of grifter or uh, drifter or 
you know, fellow who's up to no good, right? Some some kind of crime boss or something well, like that, this, right? Like I like the yeah, I like the idea of this, Matt. There's a little bit of a problem here. I don't think in the Star Wars universe anyone wears sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless you count Darth Vader, which I don't. <laughs> Sith Sith. Uh, Jack Nicholson would be just as awesome as Sith Faye Dunaway. Sith, both of them would be the best because that would just be a Chinatown reunion. <laughs> like, forget it, forget, forget it, Lord. It's all Duran, yeah. right? Like, it's. Just <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I was actually thinking of Jack Nicholson based on The Shining, uh, and not so, so not not crazy. based oh. yeah not based on on Chinatown. But when you when you mentioned Faye Dunaway in Chinatown, it all kind of came full circle. Um, so I like how Jack Nicholson came back into the popular consciousness, like, what, five years, six years after after Chinatown? But Faye Dunaway had to wait, like, 35 years to be on a <laughs> show to make it back on your radar. So uh, that's, a, that's a credit point to Jack. But I he, knew, I mean, I watched, like, when I was young, I watched, like, Heathers and stuff. I watched movies with Christian Slater in them, and I, I always thought of Christian Slater as having the same voice as Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah, Faye Dunaway is to Lauren Bacall as Christian Slater is to Jack Nicholson. Sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, in in that what in that the the uh, the earlier pair is sublime, and the the in that it's like a pathetic drop to the from the sublime <laughs> to the ridiculous. <laughs> The type and the anti-type, the sublime and the ridiculous. Uh, uh, um, what does, I mean, what does make a Star Wars movie? We haven't talked about this, and it's it's funny, like, it being Star Wars Day, we reposted on our Facebook page, which, by the way, you should like if you don't like, because, you know, I can't give you a good reason. For arbitrary reasons, why do you like anything on Facebook? It doesn't matter. Just you should just listen to the suggestion. I don't no. like any. I don't like anything on Facebook. I, I have like three oh. likes. One is one is the over one is overthinking it. One is the TFT podcast, and one is like my friend's band or something like that. I still banter with the uh, the social media manager for I Frankenstein on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I liked I Frankenstein back when that movie first came out, and I've just been kind of trolling its Facebook posts the whole time that it came out. And it just now, by the way, thank you. Here's the free advertising. Your social media manager won you, I Frankenstein Marketing Department. Make sure they have a job next year. Uh, but uh, but I Frankenstein just came out on, I can't believe I'm saying this, digital download, <laughs> DVD, and Blu ray uh, last week. And so, um, and, and <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I can't believe I'm actually saying this on the podcast that they actually caused this to happen through the mechanisms of social media. But, uh, but they had this whole campaign when they were rolling out the characters for I Frankenstein, right? Because they decided the way they were going to promote this movie was to like show us each of the totally useless and meaningless characters that were going to be this movie that we were never going to see again and like inform us of what their weapons were, right? Because they're trying to like get the attention of like the 13 to 16 year old boys who are like, ah, oh, and they just have a sword gun and he has like a grappling hook and he has like a ninja stars. Like, I remember what it was like to think in that way and which weapons were really exciting, except like a bunch of the characters are like scientists and bureaucrats so it's like it would be like weapon science uh and my favorite was uh was was the bill nye character where it was weapon colon science slash destruction right where this character (laughs) (laughs) so like whenever they whenever they would post something i would be like i'd say something like weapon social media weapon banner graphics slash destruction um and then there was that one I think I told you guys about where, like, a spam bot 
posted like, uh, my grandmother told me that if we could get 50,000 likes for this page, you know, she told me before she died that, that this would be her dying wish. And I was like, your grandmother has discerning tastes to want to like the I Frankenstein page 50,000 times. I think it's pretty much just me now. I think it's like me and a series of like Indonesian and Filipino spam bots talking to the I Frankenstein people. But uh, anyway, I like it on Facebook. I like that and I like Vin Diesel because he posts uplifting stuff and because he's earned it. And Paul Walker because, you know, mourn until you join him and whatnot. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, <laughs> and all my improv stuff, like the bazillion improv projects that I'm associated with either through friends or myself. So... But Matt, were you uh, saying something about what makes a Star Wars movie? Well, I, w- I was going to say, like, we, we hey, like, what I said is what you do to a Star Wars movie to make it into a Star Wars prequel. You just, like, add a ton of information that's totally unrelated that you're excited about and nobody else is. That's how you make a, that's how you make a Phantom Menace. But no, continue, Matt. You're, I'm gonna... you're, you're overthinking it. Midi-chlorian count is off the charts. Oh, maybe man. maybe you are the one who was prophesied to restore balance to overthinking it. <laughs> <laughs> Not gender balance, though. <laughs> you have a um, prophecy? I'm so excited. <laughs> Not ethnic balance either. No, um, more like a more of like a sort of mo- motor control balance. <laughs> <laughs> but right, like one of one of those boards that you stand on in physical therapy, where you're supposed to be able to, like, you know, I don't know, strengthen your ankles by shifting your weight back and forth. Um, well, my my point was that uh, on our Facebook page, and that's how this whole digression got started. Uh, on our Facebook page, we. Um, reposted some of our Star Wars articles from back in the back in the day because it's been a perennially popular topic on overthinkingit.com and uh, a lot of those articles have gotten picked up virally in in a lot of places um and like and unlikely places like John Gruber on daringfireball.com the the Apple blog uh, linked to one of our Star Wars things and and uh, sent a bunch of traffic our way one time, and you know and that actually like uh, you know I I follow the uh, the broadcaster and sort of productivity guy Merlin Mann, um, and uh, you know uh, and I know he reads a lot a lot of what gets posted on Daring Fireball, so I like to imagine that that was what brought Merlin Mann to OverthinkingIt.com. Maybe he listens to the podcast. Hi, Merlin. Have us on your show. Um, (laughs) Because, oh, never mind. Um, So we we reposted these on uh, Facebook today. And and again, they sort of went through the roof. They were were very popular, judging by the the stats um, that Facebook exposes to you as the owner owner of the page. Um, People love it when we overthink Star Wars. People love it when, when we talk about Star Wars. People love to join in in the comments and talk about um talk about star wars people love it so much that we've actually uh backpedaled that <laughs> a little bit um because it's our goal not to give you what you want for your own edification and improvement no uh because we thought we thought we were we were kind of being cheap by by kind of going all star wars all the time uh but um, but let's do it. Let's talk about. I mean, let's talk about Star Wars. Whether it's what makes a Star Wars movie, what will make this uh, movie a Star Wars movie, or about the uh, the Episode Seven um, cast. You know, yeah. Like, okay, girls, so- girls was a gateway to great things for Adam Driver. Yeah. Also, uh, Inside Lewin Davis was a gateway to great things for uh, Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac. Right. 
I think that movie might be the movie that has the most casting in common with it. That's not a Star Wars movie. Huh. And, and Ender's Game was a great way, gateway to great things for Harrison Ford. As he, uh, no, because he credibly showed that he can play a space commander. No, nothing. Never, I mean, never it, mind. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that they were just waiting? They're like, look, Harrison, you better kill this Ender's Game thing or you're off the team. And it's like, look, man, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And it's <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So here's something that here's a notable omission from this cast, right? What does not make a Star Wars movie? Apparently, uh, Billy D. Williams. Right, this is going to be a Star Wars movie without Lando. Everyone else is in it. No Lando. But all the Star Wars movies have Lando in them, except the one called Star Wars. All the other one, well, and the other three that they made, but they don't. Well, and, and he's not. He's in a little bit of the third one. He's in the second one. He's in. The, never mind. I'm. I'm. I'm just flubbing left and right today with the with trying to resonate with this younger generation. But yeah. So 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 what you're saying, Mark, is that it's a Star Wars movie. That there's a there's you're implying rather that there's like a panoply of specific people that conjure the presence of Star Wars, sort of seance like when they stand in a room together, right? Like almost like more Captain specifically, Planet. more specifically, the continuity from uh, the episode. The, you know the the, the original trilogy that uh, we know and love so much, right? That is clearly being there that they are clearly trying to evoke here with the presence of uh, a large portion of the original cast, right? right, right. There's, a, there's a through line that goes from Return of the Jedi to this new movie and uh, it's all a big party and you should all be here because we got everyone else here except Lando. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about Lando not being there? Or are you like, are you displeased? Are you pleased? Like, no, I'm not happy about it. I wonder what happened to him. Are they going to... Um, are they going to say like, "Oh, it was too bad what happened what happened to Lando," you know, I him so. and uh, uh, at the battle of such and such or this, that, and the other? Or are they just like conveniently ignore the fact that Lando's not there? How much? How great would it be if there were like a two hundred meter tall bronze statue of Lando that like adorned the capital at Coruscant because of his heroism in the later wars when he like fought off the the like non canon you know Flixugian invasion or what have you and sacrificed himself for the greater good? How awesome would it be if this were really like about the absence of Lando? Like that's what this movie is about. Uh, it's about like the Lando that we left behind. Right. Like, it's the it's yeah. like uh, the search for Spock, but with Lando. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except he doesn't come back to life. They just like accept his loss. Maybe they find a baby that maybe they search for Lando's children across the galaxy and bring them all together to teach him about their father. <laughs> um, Star Wars is not about any of these things. <laughs> no. Oh, you know what I was thinking? Uh, the really prompted this uh, this thought um, is that uh, remember Patton Oswalt's amazing Star Wars Episode Seven pitch yes, <laughs> that involved yes, the yes. crossover with the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a brilliant plot idea, which I think actually would work really well, which is that. Um, uh, uh, Lando uh, steals Princess Leia from Han, and Han is really pissed about this and wants revenge. Right? Conflict, you guys. If there's anything I learned about storytelling from all these years of making it, it's that uh, gotta have conflict. Well, see, okay, I think we can unpack this a little bit, Mark. I think this idea that what what it means to have a through line between the old show and the new show that's connected by the presence of the actors. So, what is it? Then, so there's different aspects of Star Warsness, and we could we could talk. We're going to talk about a few of them, I think, on this podcast. One of them is uh, a familiarity of a surrogate family of sorts, right? Like would be in a sitcom. Like they always, they often people often talk about this in terms of you know the sitcom family is a family that that you experience as part of your own familial experience, and it's part of your routine. And sitcom families they like to write. Um, 
you know, you like to write stories that kind of fill in the gaps or help people kind of either idealize or process things that are going with their own families. This was a big part of that Star Wars insurrection book that was a Star Trek insurrection book. Gosh, I can't mix those two up on this podcast of all of them. This, the wonderful unpublished Star Trek insurrection book that you passed around, Mark. Oh, um, yeah, 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 I remember um, this. And they talked about how Star Trek The Next Generation stories work because the the cast is a family, right? Or that's what they were trying to make happen, is that they're trying to make the cast of the Enterprise like a family. And that's why people watch the show, not for the aliens, not for the special effects, not for the speculative fiction. But they really watch it for the interaction among the members of the family. Now, this isn't unique to Star Trek. It's certainly more characteristic of The Next Generation than some of the other series, uh, probably because they were thinking of it this way. But if you want to think of Star Wars in the same way, you know, when... And all these people that we know are in the Star Wars, the first three Star Wars movies, and then they're not around for the next three, you know, the moments when one of them shows up, like Yoda shows up or whatever, uh, or even when, you know, little superficial things happen, like Obi-Wan, you know, taking off his, uh, taking off his cloak, his, his hood, right, in just the same way that, uh, that uh, Al Guinness used to. There's a feeling of seeing again a familiar person that you've lost or someone who has been gone and someone has come back to you. And I feel like there's an emotional need. There's like an emotional gap that's left by the absence of this person that you cared about, even if it's just like a character, even if it's just a the sort of a performance, an illusion, a simulacrum of a person. Uh, and so, you know, seeing Spock in the J.J. Abrams Star, Star Trek movie, seeing Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford in this new movie, you know, fills an emotional void that has been left uh, and that, that is not filled by the subsequent Star Wars movies that really maybe you went to go see because you wanted to see your old Star Wars family again, um, right? And so there'll be a younger generation that knows all the newer characters from the Clone Wars cartoons, and if they don't see Anakin, maybe they'll be upset, although I don't know. I, I don't know about their emotional connection is on the same level. But I think that's one of them, is that like having the people there is part of what makes it feel like the thing that we're talking about. It's one aspect of Star Wars-ness is Mark Hamill-ness and Harrison Ford-ness and Carrie Fisher-ness. And not just them there present personally, but playing their characters in the way that they played them before, like recognizably, so that we see a returned lost one, um, a loved one come home. And that's interesting. I mean, I I wonder if it's – I usually contrast uh, serialized storytelling versus cinematic storytelling in in precisely that way, right? Like the idea of TV storytelling or or serialized storytelling is to keep you – is is to – uh, put you in a world and with a group of people that you want to spend a lot of time with. And cinematic storytelling is to kind of d- d- uh, bring you to a sort of extraordinary precipice and, and then um, have robots blow it up. The, yeah, uh, uh, that's my Faye Dunaway is a movie star and not a TV star, by the way, because you want to spend a glorious 90 minutes with Faye Dunaway. But if you were around every day, she'd drive you crazy. God, so, 90, yes. 90 minutes, Pete. What am I, Superman? <laughs> Clearly, you haven't seen Chinatown, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the um, yeah, uh, but I mean, I suppose I mean Star Wars is a is a franchise. It's it is a serial, and it's it has its its roots, um, its inspiration in like the film serials of an earlier day age of cinema, where you would kind of go back every week to the film to the cinema and see you know a, like a bunch of short subjects and then a feature film or a double feature or something like that and one of the short subjects or one of the features would be a serial where you know i don 't know Buck Rogers or whoever um, went on another uh, fantastic adventure right mm mm-hmm. 
and that and that because because of that like the the rules of Star Wars actually might be more like the rules of television than the than the uh than the rules of of cinema even even though you know a new hope really does sort of stand on its own as a hero's journey and and the uh the original trilogy, the anterior trilogy, anterior in production time, anterior in our timeline, um, does uh, d- does work as a as a single um, as a single arc, you know. Mm-mm. I mean, yeah, because that's another way you could look at it, right? Is that a Star Wars movie is a movie that sort of that captures the arc of the first Star Wars movie, which is sort of a, at this point kind of. It almost belongs to Star Wars, the sort of Joseph Campbell-y, informed by fantasy, informed by science fiction, informed by, you know, more more fantasy than, than speculative fiction, but informed by Hollywood magic and special effects. Like, that specific sort of storytelling feels like it kind of belongs to Star Wars a little bit. It, it's the most commonly cited uh, hero's journey work of pop culture, as far as I understand, by like a pretty wide margin. Um, and Joseph Campbell was personally involved with it, right? Like... Um, or it was consulted, I guess, directly by Lucas, or am I, am I misremembering that from, like, the bazillion different times I've heard it talked about in the media? But a Star Wars movie, like, you could say, well, a Star Wars movie that's about the Trade Federation isn't a Star Wars movie because it's not about, like, a Jedi, and it's not about, like, you know, like, learning to use the Force and, like, the sort of the journey that Luke goes on in the first movie, or which is somehow also echoed in the third movie and the second movie in different ways is reflected. I don't know. I mean, what about that? Because there's certainly stories, movies, television shows where the thing that is defining about them is the kind of story that they tell. I mean, the most notable one that comes to mind for me is 24, and there's going to be an article about that coming up this week because it's coming back. But it's like, well, you know, there's a specific sort of story that you tell in 24, and if you use the same characters and you don't tell the story, you know, if they're not in real time, if everyone's not rushing all over the place, if they're not constantly explaining to you everything that's happening while they're doing it, then it's not really a 24 story, right? But in Star Wars, is there really a story that you have to tell to make it definitively a Star Wars story? Pete, I'm oh. Wikipediaing Joseph Campbell right now. Okay. Beep, well, okay. Beep, beep, beep. Thank you, Jonesy. Thank you, Michael Winslow. <laughs> I mean, I'll, 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 I'll take a stab at it, right? And I'll reach back to the um, the Steve Gutenberg, uh, you know, uh, New Republic, New Republic Academy uh, that I tossed out <laughs> as a joke and say, like, that's not a Star Wars movie uh, because it doesn't have, it presumably wouldn't have the fate of the galaxy in the hands of a small set of individuals um, who are uh, intertwined in a, a battle of uh of good and evil that is also a familial battle and mm. that right there right i think is, is what a star wars movie is about right you can't say the same thing about star trek um or uh or Battlestar galactica or other space science fiction fantasy opera type of things right that's my um like quick off uh, knee-jerk definition of what a star wars story is that it's so it's about like a small group of people upon whom the fate of the universe rests and uh, and then they're fighting a, a, a good versus evil, like what, like a sort of a, it's an ontological, a deontological kind of conflict where there's like there's normative claims that are being made about like good and evil things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and, and and the family aspect too is important. And the family aspect, because it's funny because I think Police Academy fits your description of a Star Wars movie, except I guess the police are not in particular like 
uh, as high stakes as you would you would want them to be. That's the one thing that's missing. Is there so, a familiar last? Week? I mean, like there's like family in the literal sense, where you know Luke and Leia are sisters, and I am your father, etc. And then there's the uh, family in the metaphorical sense, where you know, in a way, right? You know, the goofy members of the police academy are a family, right? What, right. what, do, you, what do you? What's the familial aspect of, of police academy? Oh, it's 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 figured. I don't think that like Mahoney is the secret child of Commandant Lasad or anything like that, or like uh, or, or is it a uh, any of those people? No, I don't think they're. In, I don't think that um, that uh, that that uh, Sweet Chuck and Hightower are related by blood. Uh, that is not the case. There's going to be one person who finds all these jokes really funny. By the way, all these jokes that I feel like are totally whiffing tonight. Oh no, he's uh, me. He's the, he's me. Uh, I'm, oh, the, okay. I'm the guy. I'm the one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You, you How are, have you been doing? You, googling Joseph Campbell, by the way. <laughs> oh, uh, let me tell you. Um, well, you know, you guys had moved on. I had closed the tab, but it's going to be in the show notes. It was not until after the completion of the original Star Wars trilogy in 1983, however, that Lucas met Campbell or heard any of his lectures. Oh. Uh, and then the 1988 documentary, The Power of Myth, was filmed at Lucas Skywalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So, and and apparently, Bill Moyers interviewed uh, Joseph Campbell about the use of the heroes, the ideas in the hero's journey, um, in the Star Wars films. Uh, anyway, so um, so so wait, so so that's interesting. So, Star Wars was not made with the active present knowledge, the sort of front of mind knowledge of Joseph Campbell's works and theories. But George Lucas was so compelled upon meeting him later about the interrelation between this man's work and his own work no, that he decided to... No, no, no. no, no. It's a, it, George, George, sorry, Pete, I didn't mean to stomp on you. Um, yeah. You know, the la- but the last thing I'd want to do is to disseminate inaccurate information on the Overthinking yeah. It podcast because we are a trustworthy source of news and opinion. Yep, the only one left. Last one. <laughs> uh, but he had read, uh, George Lucas oh. had read Hero with a Thousand Faces, but not met the man himself. Oh, so, I got you. Yeah, so yeah. he just hadn't heard his lectures. That is, he hadn't been there personally. Right, right. right. But the, that book was, um, uh, when was that book published? Wikipedia to the Rescue. Publ- oh, published in 1949. So that had been floating around a, a while, I guess. Yeah, 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 definitely. Interesting. Guys, can we talk more about Lando? I mean, look, he's, <laughs> he's reprised the role. He's voiced the role of Lando Calrissian in various uh, animated things, including the Lego movie, as recently as, you know, this year, 2014. Right? I mean, like, he clearly has got his Lando chops still going, at least in the vocal thing. Has he let himself go? Is he, you know, uh, is he uh, not in shape to play the role of Lando Calrissian yeah, can anymore? We find, can we find pictures of him from from recent times? I mean, he looks like Billy D. Williams. He looks fine. Um, there's a picture of him in 2005, and he's got a cane. I don't know. Maybe he's not moving around so much anymore. I, 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 I really sincerely doubt that they were itching to put Lando Calrissian in this, and Billy D. Williams, and they're like, he's too infirm. There's no way <laughs> we can get Billy D. Williams to appear, unless he's, like, direly, direly ill, right? Like, But it's like... He's seventy-seven years old. I mean, he's been—he's been—and the Colt forty-five is, you know, it works every time, but it also works in the aggregate <laughs> gradually over long periods. Of time. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, let, let's let's uh, talk about the process of this, right? You know, like presumably there have been countless brainstorming sessions over these last few months about coming up with a story outline for episode seven that will eventually lead to a script, right? And um, 
you know, it, it, did somebody in the room bring up, like, hey, what about Lando? Can we work Lando in the story? And the guys are like, ah, no, not so much. Or just like, <laughs> they, they forgot. And just like when they made the episode seven announcement and everyone on the internet pointed out, where's Lando? And it was like, oh, I knew we forgot someone. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that they just had to get it done in a real hurry, right? Like they were just like, "Oh man, we forgot to write the Star Wars script until the day before it was due. We got to get this done." And they were like, "Okay, let's go through the characters that we put in. Did we put in Chewbacca? Oh crud, we have to go back and write in Chewbacca. <laughs> Did we put in Lando? Lando? No, we didn't put in Lando. We didn't put in not Lando. Lando's from Babylon Five. Did we put in Lando? If Lando were in this movie, that that would be interesting view. But no, uh, they uh, they they had to choose whether with four hours to go before the script was do whether to write in a part for Chewbacca or write in a part for Lando Calrissian and they chose Chewbacca because because uh, Wookiees will tear your arms off if you write them out of the early drafts of a script. <laughs> <laughs> oh guys, uh, you know breaking news on the Billy D. Williams health front, Billy D. Williams pulled out of, uh, of Dancing with the Stars because of a chronic back problem uh, oh. this year. So, um, but that does say that he was well enough off that he signed up to be on Dancing with the Stars, right? Like, but I guess maybe maybe he has it. Maybe, gosh, maybe it's more than a chronic back problem. Get well soon, Billy D. Williams. We want to see you dancing. You want to see your dancing shoes on. Um, that would be really sad, especially how cruel is that? If Billy D. Williams is at home listening to this podcast, as he no doubt is, because all all of the of the slickest, baddest dudes from the late seventies and early nineties listen to our podcast, uh, but if he's at home listening to it and heard me call him out as a liar for pulling out of Star Wars for being sick when he was sick, oh, I feel so terrible. I'm sorry. I want to issue a public apology as soon as Billy D. Williams confirms he watches the podcast. That's his reward. Is if Billy D. Williams ever confirms comes on the podcast with us, I will issue him a formal apology for this slight that I have offered him. But it's, it's a low, it's a low hanging prize. But. We should, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, we should do something like that based on for, based on celebrity, maybe based on IMDb Star Meter rating. Uh, that that would be good. If you have a higher uh, IMDb star meter rating than me and would like to be on the Overthinking It podcast. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so wait, can I, can I just say, does anyone else just not think that any of these people like Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, does anyone else think they're just not going to be in much of the movie? Like that this is kind of like – this is going to be like Spock in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek where he's like a presence and he's there and he builds the bridge. But really this is a movie that's going to be you know, starring the new people doing new things rather than the old people doing old things. Well, precisely, yeah. I mean yeah. Adam Driver is going to you know, do whatever he does on Girls except in the galaxy far, far away, right? He has a lot of sex in that one, right? Yes, precisely. We watched a couple episodes of Girls uh, from the first season, uh, and he had a lot of sex in those episodes. So um, I'm guessing that this is going to be a pretty hardcore episode seven. No, no, no. I got it, actually. Here, Max von Sydow, right? He is going to go on a hero's journey. He's going to discover himself. (laughs) So you look at that cast. (laughs) You look at that cast, and you're like, Max von Sydow in his Star Wars movie. Bet he's playing the farm boy. Bet he's playing the bright-eyed young adventurer, right? I bet bet this is really more of an up story, right? Where Max von Sydow is a Tatooine moisture farmer whose wife dies, and he decides to tie a bunch of balloons to his moisture vacuum operators and ride them away to Mos Eisley, right, where they always said they would go on their vacation. But when the balloons pop and his vaporator, his his moisture evaporator continues to float, he realizes he has the powers of the Force. And then he meets his old hero, uh, 
Darth Adam from Girls, and they fight. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's how it works. Did you guys back in the day? Did you, what after J.J. Abrams was announced as the director of of Star Wars Seven, which was I think what shortly after the the Disney Lucasfilm deal, um, the. Uh, uh, the what was it four rules to make star wars great again video i'll link it up in the show notes and there's a follow-up essay that i'll link up as well um where this uh this person took it upon himself to uh give jj abrams advice about um undoing what he took to be some of the damage that the prequels the prequel trilogy had done to the franchise uh and these were you know rule one the setting is the frontier rule two the future is old uh rule three the force is mysterious and rule four star wars isn't cute um getting i guess like uh getting against the sort of the the urban setting the shiny cgi the um midi-chlorians and uh the jar jar binks of it all uh again i mean sort of militating against those things in this um mm-hmm. in this video do, do, do you longest question ever do you guys remember that video so your question is, do I remember it? I remember it now because you just told me about it. Right. But I wouldn't have brought it up in conversation myself. I vaguely remember it. I remember liking the idea of the future being old and to keep it on the frontier. Well, the, yeah. Yeah, the idea of like long, 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 long ago in a galaxy far, far away, long time ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Now nerds are going to say long ago. Yeah, I mean, like to the extent that the, that video was pointing out uh, uh, problems with the original trilogy, sure, it was doing that. You know, it, it was a bit simplistic in terms of its, you know, rules for and simplistic and heavy-handed in its way that it was framed, like rules for J.J. Abrams, um, because you know that's what uh, w- will help him. That's what J.J. Abrams is looking for. That's what's going to make a good Star Wars. No, that's not the case, right? But sure, you know, uh, a, a, a not inaccurate description of the problems of episodes one through three. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing in, in fan culture, right? Like, overthinking it is not a nerd culture site, and it's not a fan culture site, right? Like, we are not... We interface with, with various fandoms, and, and we have respect for them, mostly because they'll, they'll post mean things in our comments if we don't, but... <laughs> Fear will keep them in line. Fear of this five-paragraph post about Doctor Who. Evacuate in our moment of triumph? Never. Uh. I read some of our old uh, Star Wars stuff and uh, today um, after Mark posted it on the Facebook page. And let me tell you, go back, uh, everyone, and read... The uh, the article it was a think tank. We should revive that. We had so much fun doing those. Um, it was uh, what do the stormtroopers think of Vader, and uh, and and what did you say? Vader is like um, uh, Rand Paul showing up at the Heritage Institute or something like that. Yeah, it, like he said, he's a nine eleven truther. Right, he's a truther. He, right, right, he's a truther. Yeah. yeah, not like Rand Paul, but like yeah, like a truther showing up at the Heritage Institute, and and they're all being like, how do we suppress the rebellion? <laughs> like nine eleven is an inside job, and they're like, oh Lord Vader, you're hilarious, and he's like, oh, I could crush you with my fingers. Like with the thermite charges, right? And they're like, oh, 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 oh gosh, what do we do with this guy? We can't get rid of him, right? The idea, the idea is that at the at the beginning of episode four, this whole force thing is kind of a fringe, 
uh, is kind of a fringe religious thing, right? Like it's it's only religious extremists. Uh, it's Jediists, right? And Jediist terrorists who are interested in uh, who are interested in the Force. And though the rebels say, "May the Force be with you," when they're going on missions, it's more like. Um, I don't know. It's more like saying uh, goodbye in the sense of like God be with ye, right? Like uh, yeah. it's it's just this uh, um, it's this sort of ossified tradition that that has come from from earlier times. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I I I don't know I, where where that was going. Except that that's a good article. I'll link that up in yeah. the show notes. We're referring to the the raging battle in the comments over uh, specific details of the Star Wars canon. And, then, um, and that is relationship with fan culture. No, it was oh uh, d- right. Fan culture is where is where uh, is where I was going with this. We're not a um, we are not a fan site. And I, I mean, I have all kinds of problems which I I won't name because those people are mean um, with uh, with like sort of the, the proprietary aspects of nerd fandom. And uh, it, a couple episodes ago on the TFT podcast, I talked about them, but that's where I go to talk where I'm not afraid of alienating and confounding the audience because that's sort of our meta aim with that show. Uh, but um, I, I do really sympathize with a person like this Four Rules for J.J. Abrams guy um, who uh, whose name I ought to look at, but out of you know respect, if nothing else. Uh, I do... Um, sympathize with the idea of articulating what you love about something mm-hmm. um, and saying like, no, 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 this was, I, I loved this for this. And I like, I got all involved with it and it really like became a part of my personal, this was what was in my ravioli, you know, um, the, the, uh, the reference being to what Pete said about Dan Harmon being in the ravioli, um, which apparently didn't taste good when he was fired from community. And I'm sorry about your ravioli, Pete. I'm sorry to Dan Harmon, and I'm sorry to fans and nerds everywhere. I'm just sorry. Uh, that movie was produced by Sincerely Truman. You can check out their uh, their page at SincerelyTruman.com. They appear to be a design and strategy consultancy of some kind that you can hire to do stuff, and they made that movie. Um, but yeah, yeah to, inspired by what you said, um, I think – so, so I think that one of the issues – with this kind of commentary, and I engage in it a lot, and particularly around Game of Thrones these days and Song of Ice and Fire. One of these issues about this particular sort or of down or down Abbey, or down Abbey, we do it all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely as guilty of it as anybody is of doing it in various places. But I agree that our site isn't really oriented in kind of a high stakes way towards it. We're not like the fire hose of fandom. There's just a, a little bit of fandom dashed in with all the other nonsense. But one of the aspects of it is that it it reaches for a perfection. In a, in a, that we're sort of trying to understand ourselves by reaching for this sort of perfection of this thing that we love or the form of this thing that we love, this unknowable thing, kind of trying to fill out the knowable aspects of it, trying to understand that. And it makes me think of two pieces of pop culture as you were talking about it. The first is uh, we haven't addressed the John Williams score of Star Wars. So the first one I wanted to bring up was Superman Returns. 
right? Which was, you know, a movie. It came out. It was generally thought of as, like, not all that great, right? Um, it did okay. It did fine. But, like, it didn't spawn a new Superman, uh, a, super, a new Superman franchise, new Superman dynasty. We had to wait for Christopher Nolan to come around and reboot it with more murder so that it became, like, a new pow- popular kind of thing. Um, but it had a lot of the old aesthetic trappings of the old Superman movies. Uh, I described it once as the Los Angeles Community Theater Players Presents Superman the Movie, right? Because it, like, it had this John Williams score, and it had, like, a lot of the same shots, and it had, like, a lot of the same costumes on people of different shapes and sizes, um, and, and it, it tried to bring back the magic. And there was a sense that the magic could not be brought back. And that is both, if you do like the movie, one of the things that makes the movie beautiful, and also, and also kind of sad, right? Um, and this idea that, you know, your hope that they're going to get it all right, and that, like, Faye Dunaway is going to step out of the car, and it's going to be Chinatown again, right? And the, and the light's going to glint off of her face just as it did in, like, 1975 or whatever. Like, that's not going to happen. It's gone. Right? Like, it was captured on film that one time, or maybe a couple times, while they were doing it and it's not coming back so as much as you aspire to make this thing perfect by changing the things about it that you know this well it's different from it in this way well maybe we change it back and maybe we don't right and like the idea that you're going to craft a perfect star wars by recapturing all the things that went right in the first star wars is just not going to happen right and so one of the thoughts that emerges from that is well okay maybe the biggest flaw of the prequels is that it wasted a moment when everybody was watching Right. It's like there was this everyone was really excited to see something, to see Star Wars. Right. And yes, it had to be the thing that we we remembered to an extent. And they understand this. J.J. Abrams, Star Trek understands this by bringing Spock back and stuff. But like mostly it like it needed to be awesome. And if it had been awesome in kind of an unexpected way, yes, the purists would have complained, but I don't think it, I don't think it would have been quite as as terrible um, as we as we now consider it. And and also, not only had it been good or great, but if it were awesome, right? And and the other the other piece of pop culture it makes me recall is RoboCop, uh, which we've talked a lot about. And, and this this is the one that makes the opposite point, which is that the new RoboCop movie was pretty good. Like the new RoboCop movie, you know, and I was one of its biggest detractors in the fandom tradition when it was when the trailer were coming out. I'm like, this is going to be garbage. It's going to be all about the power of love, overcoming mind control. It's going to be stupid. I'm going to hate it. And then I watched it, and it was good. Like, it was a good movie. It was above average PG-13 action movie, and those are not easy to put together because you've already pre-committed, you know, $50 million to, like, you know, computer processing. So it's like, you know, all right, like now we have to put a story together, but it was pretty solid. And then I went back and I watched the old RoboCop again and it was so good. And, and it just, it really occurred to me that it wasn't just that RoboCop was an awesome movie. You know, it was that, you know, Verhoeven and his large group of collaborators, so many different people sat down to make RoboCop and while making RoboCop, they made an awesome movie. Right, And so it's almost like I don't expect there to be another RoboCop that's as good as the first RoboCop because the, the, the greatness of it was something that happened in addition to it being RoboCop, not just by necessity of it being RoboCop. Right, it's that it's that um, you know awesomeness in all of its forms, like excellence and and the artistic contributions and all the things that all these people do. They don't necessarily they don't really emerge from the things that make the thing recognizable for what it is. Um, you know, I mean, it's, which is, I mean, you could talk about that as a food metaphor, right? It's like, you know, if you have, what, what makes a great pizza, you know, can you replicate an awesome pizza by knowing the recipe or what have you, or does, is the pizza that's served in a specific place in a specific occasion, is that always the best pizza? Yeah. I mean, is this your long way around the barn and basically say that like, um, you know, 
putting in the John Williams score, the the famous Star Wars theme. That's like one of those ingredients that you put in because you're like going through the, the list of ingredients to to stick in. Um, and it's uh, not getting at that uh, the setting of the restaurant and the mood you're in and and the wine that was poured along with it. That was uh, that that made the pizza great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just that like you, we've all heard the John Williams score a whole bunch of times at this point. So even if and the John Williams score and it makes our our hearts sore and we love it. And I certainly complained a ton when the Terminator music wasn't in Terminator Three, right? And that was a huge oversight. So I guess there's a certain aspect of I'm just saying there's an aspect of balance. There's arguments for putting it in. There's arguments for leaving it out. There's there's an, a stronger argument of surpassing it in some way. And this is when we get to sort of ideas of influence, you know, and which, I mean, I know we're very influenced by Harold Bloom and, and have anxiety dreams about being in college. But, um, so I guess that's an anxiety of influence of some sort. But, um, but the idea that, like, you know, you are constantly at war with these previous artworks. Yeah. And when you come out with a new Star Wars, this idea that you could recreate a perfect Star Wars from the elements, intuitively as artists, we should understand that that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is destroy the old Star Wars, kill it by creating something awesomer and better, right? Like, and that, that, that is like part of the thing yeah. that is happening. And, right? and, and like reusing the John Williams score impedes that the destruction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I did have this thought, um, uh, out of nowhere uh, recently when thinking about these new Star Wars movies, like what a bold artistic statement would that be to, um, uh, to n- not just default to all the old uh, music tropes from it. I mean, I think these fanboys would totally lose their, their, their stuff um, if they didn't see, you know, the Star Wars logo in the exact same way that all the movies done with the exact same music and the exact same title scroll. Right. But like it, it seems like what um, you're suggesting, Pete, is that um, you're letting that devotion to the previous form get in the way of what could be uh, something better. I think so. Or and I think that um, it's 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 almost it's almost less that any one person is because the people who have the opportunity to make the thing better are not the same people who necessarily have the huge hang up about whether it needs to be the same as the previous thing. So it's really a problem of other minds situation where it's like, I, as the fan person want it to be a certain way. And, and I have very highly developed ideas because I've dwelled on this and kind of like sat, like I've sat on this egg, you know, and like, and watched the little chicken side of it grow and grow and, and hope that it's going to hatch. Right. And I have like, I've sort of, like making the world pregnant with my like you know fertile imagination about Star Wars, but I'm not the one making the Star Wars movie. The person making the Star Wars movie has a barrier between my mind and their mind, and their job is to make the movie awesome. So, and their job is not necessarily to satisfy me, right? Because like what I'm creating isn't a Star Wars movie; it's an idea of a Star Wars movie, a memory of a Star Wars movie, like a, a commentary, a reader. What it really is is it's an interpretation of a Star Wars movie. Um, and, and so, yeah, so like they, if, if they get too caught up, not necessarily with the idea of perfecting Star Wars, but with me and my way of thinking, um, then that can be a problem. Of course, if they don't get caught up with it at all, that's a huge other problem. And there's been so many franchises where it's just like total garbage because it's like, why is this person even making this movie? You know, like this has nothing to do with why people like this, right? Like, um, like the, like the Punisher, right? Like the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie that's so often lambasted, um, which I enjoy, but it has seems to have very little to do with the actual Punisher or He Man. The most basically Dolph Lundgren movies in general, right, where they're like, "Let's just put Dolph Lundgren in it, and it'll be awesome, and we don't have to do anything else." And it's like, <laughs> well, you know, actually, if people are going to go see a He Man movie, they have certain expectations, and you know what it is? It's that making a franchise movie affords you an opportunity to 
be challenged by the things that have come before you in the franchise. It, the audience is going to come to the table with a greater than average appreciation and understanding for the previous work. And so you have an opportunity to be challenged by this thing that has come before. Know that the audience has seen the thing that has come before and make an art in relation to both that audience and that challenge and to your own relationship with it. Right? Like, so there's that's a lot why to... Lando was in this movie. So to be <laughs> challenged. No, Lando was in the movie because of racism, Mark. Because everybody, like, is there, is there Anybody like I'm I'm I mean I I hate to to trot that out but like I mean are I think I saw there was one person right they they added one black guy to the cast um uh, I was looking at the list John Boyega John Boyega yes John Boyega is in it um, I was you know I, Pete when you when you said that and I'm sorry I'm not to not to hijack where where we're going in terms of just listing the actors in in the Star Wars movie but um <laughs> I'd like to talk about a little movie called Sharktopus <laughs> right. What about Sharktopus? Go uh, well, ahead. There, there will be released. Wikipedia tells me a um, uh, the official sequel will uh, Sharktopus versus Mermantula. Uh, <laughs> mer, mer, mermantula, which like, is I think is a mermaid tarantula. <laughs> I, so far as I can tell, um, which will be released in. Um, uh, 2014 and stars Casper Van Dien, an actor who works. Uh, the um, I, and and by that I, I actually should say now that we're talking about my my uh, low IMDb uh, IMDb star rating, right? Like uh, there there are lots of people who would take any job, right? Uh, what we talk about when we when we talk about actors who work is people who don't feel like they're too good for the work that they're offered. You know, people who don't get uppity about about status yeah. and things like this, and are willing. Or people we, we perceive as such because they achieve a certain critical mass of like of 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 signs of of acknowledgement of vulnerability and and this area right? right like i'm sure that tilda swinton has turned down her fair share of projects but she didn't turn down constantine no absolutely right, right? which was awesome right yeah, yeah, yeah i don't know like and and uh yeah people who aren't afraid to either take risks or do things that are potentially awesome because uh they're i don't know they're uppity about it or because they're they're afraid about image and things like this anyway casper yeah. van diem uh starring in sharktopus versus Mermantula coming this year um like I, I was thinking about it. Like uh, Sharktopus has basically one thing that you know you need in order to make a good Sharktopus movie. <laughs> which is well, I'm that, not sure. I'm not so sure about that. But continue, continue. Which is that the Sharktopus be half shark and half octopus? <laughs> well, well, you remember? Did you see Sharktopus? Because yeah, of I, course, I live did it. We, okay. we did a whole podcast on Sharktopus. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that, like, one of the defining, uh, one of the defining, I'm trying to find out exactly what the guy's name is, because he's another actor who works. Eric Roberts? Um, what? Eric no, not Roberts. Eric Roberts. I would have remembered Eric Roberts. The guy who played the smarmy host in, uh, in Joe Schmo. Uh, God, what's his, what's his name? Um, in the Joe Schmo show. He's in, uh, was he in, I think he was in, he was either in Sharktopus or he was the, one of the commentators while it was airing live. I think it was both, that he was like doing the in-bumps and out-bumps to commercial and he was also, Ralph Garman, is he in Sharktopus? Let's see. Not on the, he's no, not I guess on so. the Wikipedia so, page. So, so Ralph Garman was doing a framing device on the in-bumps and out-bumps of the Sharktopus show on Sci-Fi um, that was... Uh, that was just like casting it in the context of this like really fun, really loose, you know, very outrageous time. 
um, as I as I recall, right? I think it was Ralph Garman. I might be misremembering it. But the main thing is that like Sharktopus isn't just a half shark, half octopus. Sharktopus is like a self aware kind of parody horror flick that both indulges in the things it's making fun of while simultaneously making fun of it. Um, the same with the same relationship with its budgetary level and the place on TV where it's being aired, which is the biggest difference between Sharktopus and Sharknado. Whereas Sharknado, if you watch it, like there isn't as much winking from the from the in-universe characters, right? They they are not as meta. They do not break the fourth wall as much to kind of in their performances. Not that the people in Sharktopus are winking at the camera deliberately, but like there's an aspect to their performance where it feels like the characters are constructed in a reality where they are aware that they're in a shark movie, sort of, right? Like they scream in a particular sort of choreographed way. Like the bikini at the particular moment is really implausible. And like, we should all really appreciate that it's like not really something that would happen in real life but you know it's it's a it's a callback to a whole bunch of other horror movie things whereas sharknado is much more like let's let's continue to heighten this while sort of staying around this idea that there's a there's like a shark averse where like these crazy shark uh, attacks are happening and like people are still reacting to them in real time and haven't become like aware of like the outlandishness of shark culture right like um it's just it's campy. Camp is what it is. Is 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 there is a camp aspect to Sharknado and a camp aspect to Sharktopus, but the camp tone of Sharktopus to me felt very specific. So here I am, like you know, sitting on my egg of Sharktopus fandom, right, describing to you my feeling of how I feel like the perfection of Sharktopus right. might so, achieve. So it's a half shark, half octopus, and it's campy, yeah. right? I still yeah. think that's a simpler value proposition than the Star Wars value the value proposition, right? Like, well, yeah, but they've had a lot. Lot more time to sit on their egg too right like is that like i could sit here and spin out for you like a really i could also write 20 sharktopus extended universe novels introducing you to all of the people we could go back and we could chart the lives of all the people that sharktopus killed in the sharktopus movie and like look at their backstories and like how they came up to that period of time right like in a lot of ways the most the most not i'm gonna say a lot of ways i'm gonna scrap that one of the most notable things about star wars is just is how much people love it like in fact, and I say that that's something that even stands apart from that's a, like an element of luck to a large extent, right? Like that, like yes, it's good, and yes, it hit a lot of the right chords at the right time. It did some amazing stuff, but like people love Star Wars, and and you and that is one of the things that you have to deal with because it's at the, you know the author is dead and like the interpreter you know runs the show right, and it's like um, the our understanding of Star Wars is through the lens of all these other people that have been understanding Star Wars for all these years, is what I'm saying. So I'm saying, yes, Sharktopus is... I'm not conceding the point that Sharktopus is a simple thing to remake, um, but because I, I think that it, it has a lot of the same problems and could fall into a number of common pitfalls in doing this sort of thing. Like I'm just, becoming, I, well, I, I don't know. I'm just pointing out... I mean, I'm pointing out a couple of ironies in your... In your um, sort of in your sort of description, your lengthy description of what of the problems inherent in, in making sequels and the I mean the sort of pl- platonic implications right like and and I guess the big things the big things i 'd say um, about Robocop or or Star Wars is that if you actually go back and look at it um, it it 
it's not everything you think it is. I'll, I'll bet it's not everything you think it is, yeah. right? Like that, wh- one of the successes of these movies is that, is that they can create a better movie in your mind than the movie that you actually see, right? With, you know, I don't know, Mark Hamill saying still to dialogue about the power converters, which got a laugh when they, you know, remember in the 90s when they re-released the, uh, uh, the 4, 5, and 6 trilogy? Like, I went to see all of those on opening night and, and like, that line got a laugh because it was very badly read and like, you know, this, this, um, this sort of earnestness, which, which today is, is kind of laughable, right? Like the, the Star Wars somehow managed to create a better, uh, create a better movie in your mind than the movie that it was like reached through to the platonic form of Star Wars somehow, uh, through yeah. this, through this instance of Star Wars and the instance is imperfect. Right. Um, so that's the, I mean, that's the, the one point where I want to push back a little and say like that, well, you know, I don't know the original Robocop or the original Star Wars, right? Like the instance is imperfect and yet somehow managed to engender in you, um, and, and me and everybody, this reverence for the, the platonic form of the thing, uh, that the artifact was merely an instance of. Yeah, the, the phrase that I use, just real quick, is uh, is that these sort of works of speculative fiction set the mind on fire. It sets the imagination mm-hmm. ablaze, right? Mm-hmm. And that uh, actually fits exactly with what you're saying. In the um, it, like, a fire is a self sustaining thing; it spreads, right? It's not just the initial ember, the initial spark that is, um, you know, the light that is entering your retina from the from the movie that's coming in. It's all the other things that it makes you think about, right? That, that it fills in the gaps and it it activates uh, uh, untapped memories and in your, uh, your desires that you didn't even know you had in your mind. Right? That's the the fire of the imagination. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about it was, uh, I mean, the other thing I, I wanted to say about it was point out the irony in. Um, uh, the irony inherent in sort of all these people who now have this sort of pent up demand for uh, for the thing, because the, there's a market now. It's not just the people who are giving us the new Star Wars movie. It's it's all the people that you described as being the people who were the interpreters interpreters of Star Wars, and and it means what they say it means, and it means what each of them individually says it means for them individually, and in the aggregate, it means you know some kind of mean of what of what they all say it means, um, and. Uh, right. The the irony is that the original Star Wars kind of came out of left field uh, in terms of the the sorts of movies that were uh, that were going on at the time. And right, there's a famous story of uh, of George Lucas screening a work print of Star Wars that only that had like uh, World War II footage cut in uh, instead of spaceships because they hadn't done the model photography yet. Um, and uh, no one got it except Steven Spielberg. And, and everyone was like, what the hell is this? And Spielberg was the guy who's like, this movie is going to make $100 million uh, because there's sort of an innocence and a, a sort of a straightforward line of attack, I think, was the, the, um, the thing he said. It had, it had kind of a, a tone um, and an earnestness that was, that was missing from a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the 1970s cinema that we think of so great now, the sort of iconoclastic... Um, sort of iconoclastic cinema. No one knew they wanted Star Wars, right? When Star Wars came out, and then suddenly everyone wanted Star Wars, and and the idea that like, well, now we want Star Wars, and they better give it to us, uh, is is against the the sort of thing uh, is against the sort of thing. I mean, I, I'm highlighting an irony that that was uh, implicit in what you said about destroying Star Wars in order to save it, but. Um, uh, but I think that that's uh, that's 
I, I think you wouldn't necessarily find that, that level of self-reflection in the, um, in the community uh, that is insisting um, that it be a certain thing. Even this video, which I like a lot about the, the four rules for, for J.J. Abrams, right? Like J.J. Abrams, uh, DGAF, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> it took me a second, which is how you know that I'm not part of the hardcore the hardcore nerd culture. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's pretty that's inspiring stuff. Um, the, what it, what it made me think of is the is video games like huh. video games today because recently uh, I'll let's let me I'll I'll say something that not a lot of people say. Recently, I went into a GameStop. Uh, so a few months ago, <laughs> I went into a GameStop because I was in a mall and I have an Xbox and I thought, hey, maybe I'll buy a new Xbox game. And I looked around and like so many of the games were so violent and like and just very just like over, like stylized in a dark and violent and exploitative and sort of grit like you know we say gritty but like sort of grimy and like sort of like. It's sort of a sort of like this sort of oh god i mean it, it makes the, the thing that comes to mind is like wrath of the titans right it's just sort of like you know we're going to take something that's fantastical and we're going to like darken it and muddy it and throw in a lot of violence but it's and it's just like i don't know about you guys but the the more really bad things that happen in real life the less i really want to expose myself to like lots of violence in video games yes um, oh my god yeah. this is the thing i've been saying about horror movies about uh, forever i can't watch scary things they scare yeah. me and like i don't understand why that's pleasurable and, and yeah. yeah i'm sorry continue i mean this also comes to the heart of where i feel like people who talk about video games desensitizing you from violence get it backwards and the presence of violence in our lives sensitizes us to violence it does not desensitize us to violence it sort of accrues over time right and like it affects you in various ways but um but yeah but it's like i couldn't find a video game that i felt would like actually be fun to play uh and so and i talked to the clerk and i'm like well what would you think and it's like i mean, he's like what do you like it's like well i like strategy games I like adventure games and he's like well you should play devil may cry right and i'm like devil may cry like i played that back in like 2002 or whenever that was like and i didn't like like it then i played it for like 15 minutes is that the one where you're just like a big like emo goth vampire guy who like does like double dragon combos on things and everything is garter belts you know like what and it's and it's like well yeah but the new one is so much better than the old ones now i don't doubt that if you're in a position in your life where you want to play the new devil may cry movie this guy seemed totally earnest this clerk was like totally excited and really i felt sincerely making an honest recommendation to me and i felt like i kind of broke his heart when i was like no thanks and i left maybe that's just because he was a good salesman but he's working at a GameStop, so he's probably not a good salesman. <laughs> but uh, he's probably likes video games, and because he doesn't know how to deal with people not giving him what he needs in life, right? And he's like, oh, "I'll just go to GameStop." Um, but uh, but yeah, but it's like it, it's it's just like there. I was in a I was in a Chinatown video game store and wanted a Star Wars video game. Uh huh. Right, like, and and I didn't want what I didn't want was like a deliberately cute, deliberately acknowledging that it's it's it itself is innocent in kind of a self aware kind of way. Like, I didn't want a Lego video game, right? I didn't want like Lego Star Wars. I wanted actual Star Wars, right? And that's what we have now is we have like Lego Star Wars and prequel Star Wars and animated Star Wars and you know Shadows of the Empire, like video game Star Wars, Wing Commander Star Wars, as Mark always talks about. We have all these variations of Star Wars. 
but like actual Star Wars, right? If 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 there's one egg I want to lay, it's this egg of that you've just described of like when Star Wars comes on the scene in 1977, it does this big thing and it connects with everybody, you know. And as Mark says, it sets their imaginations on fire and it gets people dreaming and excited and imagining, and it spins off all of this interpretation and creation, like. You know, if that's the thing, if you want, if you really want Star Wars, maybe that's the thing that you want. Maybe that's the Star Wars-ness, the Star Wars-ness of the thing that you want is having that quality of coming in and setting everybody's mind ablaze, right? And then I was thinking I could really use that in video games now a lot more than I could use it in movies because I feel like there's a lot, like Captain America the Winter Soldier was great. You know, like I don't feel like disenchanted. You know, like it's like it, it was nice. And like we've had a number of movies that have been both schlocky and funny and also like had fairly nuanced critiques of American foreign policy and uh, surveillance policies, like as we've talked about on the podcast, right? Like I don't feel like I'm hurting for action fantasy movies that connect with me on an emotional level, like right now. But I could sure use a video game that doesn't involve grime and murder, right? Like, or also self-aware eight-bitness or like, you know, cutesy self-avoidance, right? Like, um, you know, and also I would prefer it not to be engineered to manipulate my dopamine such that I neglect basic personal tasks. <laughs> so, <laughs> these are all tall orders. I guess twenty. this is why 2048 was so popular, because <laughs> it does all those things. But uh, although it perhaps makes you not wash. So you should probably either beat it or get off the pot. Well, uh, let's uh, let's leave it there uh, for this week. There's a lot of stuff going on on overthinking it. So between now and the next podcast, um, uh, there are uh, 24 um, is coming back. Pete, you're excited. We're not. We don't have time to be excited right now. <laughs> right, right. We have to watch. We have to watch 24. Two um, hours of it. Drink from the fire hose. Drink it. You love it. It's delicious. Now, now Pete, I, I'm given to understand that it is your intention to uh, put together a, a TV recap uh, in video and audio form of uh, the 24 Live Another Day series. Is that the case? That is our. Not only that, but we are hoping. We're hoping we pull this off. We want to pull off a recap of this season, 24 Live Another Day, in real time. <laughs> So we'll see if we can. <laughs> Good luck. I, I, I hope. Yeah. I mean, if you can, God, that seems like a awfully a lot of trouble to produce a recap that actually unfolds in the same time period as the recap is taking place. <laughs> we'll see if in anything, it'll be a beautiful failure. So we will do our best to do something special. Uh, so uh, you have that to look forward to this week. You also have a post coming uh, on uh, 24 uh, on the comic book. And we were luckily lucky to get a, a review copy of that. And you're going to talk about um, why the 24 comic book is not, in fact, 24. Oh, yes, that's correct. I should have made it clearer that I was tossing to you for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like, is that a question or a statement? It's going to be related. I mean, I already wrote it, so it's probably informed of informed by a lot of what we're talking A lot of what we're talking about today is informed by considering, and like I said before, the 24-ness of 24. When we crave 24, when we want 24, how does 24 satisfy that or fail to satisfy that? And the comic book, on certain aspects, it succeeds and it satisfies what we're looking for, but on others, it is something entirely different. And um, and this conversation today will further inform in ways that I did not go into why that might be a good thing, that the, the comic book is kind of seeking its own way to tell a story. Sure. Uh, rather than relying on the sort of the tried and true ticking clocks of, uh, of television's uh, favorite um, deadline-driven um, law enforcement agent. 
we also have uh, uh, the uh, usual Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. You can watch live, live recap the uh, uh, live in real time uh, our Game of Thrones recap. Um, we are going to uh, uh, we're going to talk about the episode of Game of Thrones and uh, and um, also uh, this week. Have I run out of everything? No, have no, no. Eurovision. 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 Yes. Right. Eurovision. That was the, the biggest French, thing of all. That was the last thing. We have, we have a bunch of videos. We have a bunch of Eurovision videos coming out. We have not been able to get all the Eurovision videos uh, this year. And there are going to be angry comments on YouTube, but there are always angry comments on YouTube. <laughs> I get email alerts for all the comments in our, our YouTube channel. And, man, that's a mistake because uh, – these people who are who are pulling for their country in Eurovision, when you say anything the slightest bit off about their country, man, do they rip into you. Um, but uh, there are more Eurovision videos that are in the can and are slated to release this uh, week. And, uh, yeah, and so, so we have talked about some, but not all, Eurovision videos, but uh, we are still the premier American outlet <laughs> for coverage of the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, if you'd like to comment on this episode or join the conversation about what makes Star Wars Star Wars, about, uh, the, the, uh, uh, about the relationship between fan culture and sequels, uh, about anything else, that, about Sharktopus, about anything else that we talked about, uh, about what egg you're sitting on, uh, you can leave a comment on the show notes. You can email the email that no one ever emails, or you can call the phone number that one person called this week. Ooh. That's right. Mary from Minneapolis uh, called to ask us a question on the voicemail. Mary, we have your question. We are queuing it up for a future episode, and uh, one of the chosen people will be uh, will be answering your question about Dayenu. Yes, there was uh, a prophecy. That someday a chosen one would join the over No, 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 no. I'm, I am. What Tainu means. I am. Uh, I am making a covenant with you, Mary from Minneapolis. I knew I should have seen Noah. Jeez, now I'm so behind. I, I will set. I will set my bow in the clouds. Uh, I mean, if I had set my bow in the clouds, it would have been enough. If I had promised on the podcast, it would have been enough uh, to explain. Oh. Um, to explain Dianu to Mary. Matt, it's from. it's been over an hour. Let my people go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can go. But come back next week to OverthinkingIt.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't deserve. May the force be with you. How would Harvey do Chewbacca? I can't. I'm going to injure my throat.